Hello, and welcome to the Investing on the Go podcast. I'm Chris Sarley, and today we're joined by Stephen Smith, Investment Director for the Elite Rated Capital Group New Perspective Fund. Thanks for joining us today, Stephen. Good morning, Chris. Thanks very much for having me. It's no problem at all. Um, let's start with the original premise of the fund, which was to exploit the, the changing patterns of global trade. So let's look at globalization and, and the idea of, you know, is it dead? Is it not dead? I've, I mean, I've heard it called things like globalization recently. Can you, can you maybe give me some examples of how global trade has changed over the years and to bring us to the point where we're, we're at now today? Sure, absolutely, Chris. Um, maybe just before that, um, maybe just start by by giving a few introductory remarks and take a quick step back and just remind the listeners of what the New Perspective Fund is, what we're trying to achieve and the types of companies we're investing in. So just very briefly, um, to remind everybody, it's a 49-year-old actively managed global equity fund, and we're trying to deliver long-term capital growth. And from its inception back in 1973, we've really deliberately tried to invest in and thrive on long-term change. So specifically, what the Capital Group New Perspective Fund is trying to do is pursue long term investment opportunities arising from changing patterns of global trade, changing economic and political relationships, and the various multi-generational secular shifts in the global economy. And it really does this on a bottom-up, truly company-by-company basis. And what we're doing is investing in a spectrum of multinational companies that range from those small to medium-sized, fast-growing, early-stage multinationals, so hopefully the potential future global champions, all the way up to the established multinational champions of today. But to, to directly answer your question, is globalization dead? I think the short answer is no. I think it's easy to say that the world is deglobalizing. I think it's easy to say that globalization is retrenching and proponents of this view would probably point to a few things. They would likely point to a slowdown in growth of global trade over the last decade. They would talk to the rise in populist political agendas, the increase in tariffs and trade war tensions. They'd probably also point to the onshoring and nearshoring of supply chains You know, in response to the COVID disruption. But we don't think globalization is dead. Instead, we think the form and the nature of globalization is changing. And one of the big changes today, we think, is in the definition of trade, Chris. So we've always employed a deliberately broad definition of trade, um, and that definition has probably evolved. So when we set up the fund in the 70s, you know, the, it was more about physically traded goods. That's how people define trade. I think today that definition of trade is probably at an inflection point where it's more about the exponential growth of, of intangible data and information flowing around the digital economy. It's more about services than it is about cross-border physically traded goods. So I guess the, my final point on this question would be rather than seeing a reversal in globalization, multinational companies, or at least the ones that we're trying to invest in, they are adapting to the changing trade environment. So yes, companies will likely remain global in their production facilities, in their client bases. And yes, companies will continue to probably outsource parts of their production and supply chain. But I think increasingly, they'll build more locally based operations to strengthen supply chains, to improve the resilience of supply chains, to get closer to their end markets. So I think rather than deglobalization, I would probably call it multi-localization or re-globalization. Okay. Um, one of the shifts we've seen in sort of equity market leadership is that sort of rotation from, from growth to value. I mean, it's a bit of a strange time really to, to, to look at either of them, but maybe give us your thoughts on that and, and how that sort of affects the fund. Sure. A very good question. Very topical question. 
again, first of all, we don't view the investment landscape, Chris, in these very binary terms of mm. value and growth. And we're certainly not constructing the new perspective portfolio based on any top-down views on the relative merits of one style factor over another. But as you say, year to date, we have witnessed um, an extraordinary rotation in equity market leadership, um, crudely speaking, out of growth into value, as you said. And that rotation has been one of the quickest and biggest in equity market history. So almost touching the extremes of the TMT bubble bursting in 2000, um, in the early 2000s. And I think we all know the reasons behind this move. Uh, higher, stickier, more entrenched inflation than most people and central banks initially thought. And that's led to very aggressive monetary policy tightening by, by the world central banks and, of course, spearheaded by, by the Fed. Now, when I'm asked, can value carry on outpacing growth? I think the easy answer is probably not to the same extent that we've seen since the rotation in equity markets that began in November of 2021. So since November of 2021, uh, value on a global basis has outpaced, has beaten growth by about 30 odd percent on a relative basis. That's a big number over such a short period of, of time. But I think there's a more nuanced answer, Chris, to, to, your, to your question, and, and that is, We've been we've we've seen a number of previous periods where value has outpaced growth for prolonged periods of time. So over the 50 years that New Perspective's been around, value has led the market between 75 and 1984, then again between 1987 and 1994, and then again um, in the aftermath of the TMT bubble, so 2000 to 2006. So look, it's happened in the past; it could happen again. And typically, as economies evolve, as they go through big structural changes like now, what you find is that stock markets typically enter new market cycles. And when stock markets enter new cycles, new equity market leadership often forms. There's strong evidence as well to suggest that market leaders before and after bear markets are rarely the same. Now, the obvious question then is, well, if growth led the market for the last 15 years and you're saying we're entering a new cycle, what does that mean for growth investing? We're not writing the obituary of growth investing. We're not certainly saying that growth investing is dead. But if the next cycle is to be defined by higher for longer inflation and higher for longer rates, then we need to be even more discerning, even more selective in the type of growth company that we that we invest in. So we need to really focus, I think, on the quality. We need to focus on what I define as shorter duration growth companies. So companies that can deliver and generate cash flow profits and growth today, rather than speculative growth cash flows and profits that may or may not materialize five, six, seven years down the, the road. So basically, I think, Chris, going forward, equity market leadership could well be more, excuse me, less one-dimensional, less binary, not as simple as growth versus value, not as simple as US versus non-US, not as simple as large versus small cap. Simply put, a greater breadth of equity market leadership could unfold in the next cycle. And that's good for active stock pickers like, like us. I mean, you, you've touched on it there. I mean, if we're in a world where sort of high inflation and high interest rates, and you, you've talked about how that affects the economy, even even if you know inflation halves from here, does, does that change the approach to the portfolio from what it may be now? I mean, can you maybe just touch on that for us as well, please? Sure. I, I think, you know, so I've, I've just said that we do think there'll be a greater breadth of leadership going forward. Mm. And we think that's the stop that we have entered a new cycle. As you say, even if inflation halves, that's still structurally higher than we've seen for the last sort of 10 to 15 years. And, and so we have 
new perspective does have this structural flexibility it has the ability to reposition um, to capture the next cycle and the next generation of global economy leaders and stock markets because it's a core but structurally flexible global equity fund so mm-hmm. what have we really been doing we've um first of all i think the big news is we have been reducing the growth exposure in the portfolio that started in 2019 chris it didn't just happen you know in response to the market rotation year to date um, it's accelerated into 2022 but that pivoting away from some growth companies started almost four years ago. And we've really been reducing different growth companies by different amounts and for different reasons. Some of those reasons include risk control purposes, profit taking, sometimes a change in in the investment thesis, sometimes a recycling of of basically recycling into newer, more higher conviction ideas, uh, and and generally moving away from high multiple growth companies where the, the valuation is dependent on growth further out, meaning those companies are more susceptible to higher rates. But importantly, we still have a conviction in high quality growth franchises, but we do expect, Chris, earnings growth to be the big driver, the primary driver of stock and stock market returns going forward rather than than PE expansion. So we still have a good conviction in the power of innovative companies across the economy, but it's a focus on um, it's a focus on near term profits and cash flows. Obviously, one of one of the things that's um, well known about the, the fund is it has a number of managers behind it. But obviously, um, you know, we are in a different world and a different cycle. And as you mentioned earlier, it's been about you know best part of twenty years since the start of a, a new value rally in the back of the, the sort of TNT bubble. Um, a lot of fund managers haven't really had to deal with this type of environment before of low rates, et cetera. It's a totally different sort of beast to, to what they've been used to, to what any of us have really been used to. I mean, how do you go about that? Are the, are the rules the same, perhaps, you know, 15, 20 years ago to how they are now? Is that something you have to take on board? It's, it's a, a very, again, a very good question, Chris. I definitely agree with you that there are large swathes of investors in the equity markets today that have not invested in this type of inflationary environment, let alone the potential stagflationary environment that may or may not, you know, ensue next year. So I think because of this, Chris, you know, what we're finding is investors to some extent are struggling to appropriately value, call them growth companies, are struggling to value pr- appropriately growth companies in this higher, higher inflation and higher rate environment. And that's leading to a lot of the outsized volatility that we've seen in growth stocks over the last 12 months or so. If you think about it, Chris, pre-global financial crisis, a 4 to 7% interest rate environment was considered normal. Today, yeah. that is considered abnormal. So certainly a couple of things we're doing. What we're doing is the very experienced PMs within capital are telling our analysts to really look at the last 20 to, and 30 years rather than the last five years when valuing companies, when assigning multiples, when thinking about the appropriate discount rates. I think what gives me comfort, though, is that if you look at the portfolio managers in New Perspective, there are nine global equity PMs. Six of them have 30 or more years of investment experience, and two others um, have 24 and 27 years of investment experience, respectively. So they do, they are tenured. They have a long history of investing through a variety of different market environments. If you've only got 15 to 20 years, and that's still a decent number, Chris, if you've, only, if you've got 15 to 20 years of investment experience, you've only ever invested in basically a growth, give roughly a growth market. Yeah. Um, so the vast 
majority of the portfolio managers in New Perspective have been around for a quarter of a century or more. That gives me good confidence. On top of that, though, Chris, I just want to remind people about the um, the durability of New Perspective. It's 50 years old nearly. It's 50 next year. So it's time tested. You know, when we launched this five decades ago in the 70s, inflation was higher than it is today and protectionism was greater than it is today and the fund still did well. And if you think about what the fund has gone through, you know, it's battle tested, it's hardened, it's successfully navigated the energy crisis in the 70s, various inflationary environments um, and deflationary environments, big swings in exchange rates, big shifts to the structure of the global economy, lots of recessions, various financial market bubbles and, 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 and burstings, unparalleled central bank monetary policy experiments and a global health pandemic. You know, it stands the test of, of time. The other point, just the final point would be, you know, our analysts, having highly experienced analysts is really important right now. Our analysts are career analysts, which means they often cover the same industries and sub-industries for their entire careers, which means they become absolute experts in their field of coverage. The other point is they are investment analysts. They are not research analysts. They're not just recommenders of ideas. They are fully part of the money management process. So, what we're asking very briefly is all of our all of our analysts to invest in a very small number of their highest convictions in the industry or sub-industry that they are responsible for covering. And around one-fifth of the new perspective assets is managed by what we call the research part of the portfolio. That's where our analysts are managing money. So we think at times like now, having career investment analysts is really, really important. Okay. And just finally, we, we've sort of touched on a bit on the the how we see the market going, the views on globalization, the sort of chance that value might be a prolonged rally in this occasion. Maybe, maybe just give us a bit of an outlook for the year or so ahead and what other changes you'd like to see coming through. Sure. So let's take the first part then, outlook for 2023. First of all, there is no single capital group house view. We have you know hundreds of different investors and they, there is obviously an array of different opinions. And what we're not doing, Chris, is investing in companies and constructing the portfolio based on a 12-month view, right? This is about you know looking at companies um, and the investment landscape three to five years minimum and, and beyond. But, but let's answer your question directly, outlook for next year. It is um, possible that we enter a global Globalized, a synchronized global recession as the effects of tighter monetary policy, the stagflationary shocks and the weakening labor market really start to take effect. But the duration and magnitude of the slowdown or contraction will be different in different regions, most probably. And, and, and that duration and magnitude will be probably determined by, first of all, how aggressively central banks choose to fight inflation down to, to target or not, and the extent to which governments choose to deploy fiscal stimulus or not. The second big point, I think, with, with respect to next year is that currently equity markets, especially the US, are not pricing in a recession next year. Um, certainly from an earnings point of view, we still have a positive earnings number for next year in terms of earnings growth. So we think that it is possible that we see another downward phase um, of to this current bear market, and that could be driven by the earnings recession, the earnings decline, because we think earnings are probably too high if we're to enter a recession next year. But the good news is that uh, stock markets, as we all know, are typically forward-looking discounting mechanisms. 
systems so we don't need to find the bottom of the of the of the um the economy or the economic contraction before stock markets start to rebound and anticipate an economic recovery i think as i said earlier that um we think we've entered a new cycle and we think that new equity market leadership will form but that doesn't mean growth investing is dead we think that corporate earnings growth will be a bigger driver of of equity returns um both individual stocks and stock markets going forward because typically you get p expansion in low and declining interest rate environments and we just don't foresee that next year and we also think that certainly going forward that as i said a few times that stock markets will be less one dimensional less binary it won't be as simple as growth versus value us versus non us a greater breadth of equity market leadership may well may well unfold and then just to finally finish off with your second part to your question you know thinking further ahead and and what could come through in the portfolio i've said we've been repositioning gradually over the last few years um that's accelerated into 2022 as we really try to set up the portfolio for the next 3 to 5 years um five points i'd just like to, to finish up with um in terms of positioning we do still have a conviction in the number of high quality growth companies but we expect earnings growth to be the main driver of future returns secondly we do still have a focus on certain growth companies but it's about the growth companies delivering cash flows profits today um rather than speculative growth further out we have and thirdly we have been moving away from those high multiple companies where the valuation is dependent on growth further out and therefore they are more susceptible to rising rates i think the fourth point's really important we've been using the flexibility to change the portfolio's positioning we're starting to invest more in healthcare now so companies where there are traditional large cap pharma companies that have not just visible but arguably good durable earnings growth uh, going forward we've been adding to selected smart industrial companies that we think can form part of the solution to decarbonize the global economy and we've been adding selectively to certain commodity miners and refiners so copper and lithium producers for example um those metals will form part of the solution to electrify and, and lower the carbon intensity of the of the um of the global economy and then just finally um what are we doing more work on so we're trying to look at companies that could become the enablers that could provide the picks and shovels that will enable europe to accelerate its energy transition we're trying to identify companies that could benefit from the changing nature of globalization that we've been talking about and the um benefit from the supply chain config reconfiguration that we've been discussing as we think about an economic slowdown and possible contraction we're trying to find companies that have more visible and resilient earnings i've mentioned healthcare but we want to find more we're trying to also capture um companies or investing companies that will be successful in capturing changes in consumer behavior as inflation eats a growing share of 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 consumer wallets and with that inflation um outlook in mind we still want to find companies that have good pricing power so the ability to preserve margins as costs continue to remain elevated that's great steven thank you very much for joining us today my pleasure chris thanks for having me and um look forward to speaking soon and if you'd like to learn more about the capital group new perspective fund please visit fundcaliber.com and while you're there remember to subscribe to the investing on the go podcast Please remember, we've been discussing individual companies to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these companies at the time of listening. Elite ratings are based on Fund Caliber's research methodology and are the opinion of Fund Caliber's research team only. Mm-hmm.